We must never downplay the importance and priority of teaching the Word in our thinking. And we must make the Bible a priority in our own personal lives. Truth is absolutely vital in our spiritual growth. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series in Ephesians chapter 4, titled, The Church According to Jesus. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, examining what the Apostle Paul says is Christ's greatest priority. If you're a Christian, if you truly are in Christ, then you should want to be like Christ. In fact, one of the truest signs that you are genuinely a Christian believer is a heartfelt desire at the core of your being to be like Jesus Christ and to grow spiritually. The question is, how? How does that happen? What are the catalysts that promote and enable spiritual growth toward likeness to Jesus Christ? Well, before we begin today, here's Tom with some opening thoughts. In this series, we have learned that all believers start out as spiritual babies, spiritual infants. You did. But God desires that we grow, that we grow into spiritual adolescence and ultimately into spiritual maturity. And He has provided all that we need to grow in that way. You know, it's so important for us to understand this is the will of God. This is God's will for you that you grow up from where you are, that you become a spiritual adult. And in this program today, we're going to examine exactly how that process works, how we grow from spiritual immaturity into spiritual maturity. Thanks, Tom. And friend, open your Bibles now and let's join our teacher with today's message on The Word Unleashed. The World Book Encyclopedia defines growth this way. It's an increase in the number or size of a living thing's cells. Every human being begins life as a single cell. That cell takes in materials and changes them into what it needs to grow. So that single cell grows from within. But eventually that cell will multiply and divide to form other cells. And that process of building, multiplying, and dividing is what we call growth. The encyclopedia goes on to say this, as the cells grow, they also change in character. Some grow into the tissues that form skin, others into muscle tissues, still others form body organs such as the heart, the lungs, and the liver. It's really an incredible process of what happens in the midst of that growth. The most intensive time of growth in human development doesn't come, as some of us think from watching our teenagers eat, during puberty, but rather the most intensive time of human growth comes during the last two months before birth. If we were to sort of rewind back to about two months after conception, we would find the baby fully formed but only about an inch and a half in length. At seven months, fast forwarding now to seven months after conception, the child has grown to about two pounds and about 15 inches on average. 
But from the seventh month through months eight and nine, in those two months, the child will grow on average about 50% taller to reach somewhere between 19 and 21 inches, and in those two months will more than triple in weight from the two pounds on average at seven months to the six to eight pounds on average at birth two months later. Now, thankfully, we don't continue to grow at that rate, although sometimes we may feel that way. But until full adulthood, which varies from 18 to 30 years old, by the way, I mean physical adulthood, um, every healthy human continues to grow. And as Paul reminds us this morning, where there is spiritual life, there will be continuing spiritual growth as well. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. For those of you who are visiting with us, let me tell you that you find us about two years in to a wonderful journey through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It has been a great time of study as we've seen in the first three chapters what God has done in his great eternal plan, and now we're discovering what he expects from us in the second half of this great letter. Chapter 4 in the second half of the book begins, walk worthy of your calling. And the very first way we can walk worthy of our calling is by preserving the unity that God has created in the church. One means for preserving that unity, we've learned, is when the church lives out Christ's plan for his church. In a brief passage in the middle of chapter 4, Paul actually explains Christ's plan for his church and tells us the ultimate goal for his church. And last week, we began to discover from verses 14 to 16 the practical implications of Christ's plan for his church. The practical implications. Let me read these three verses for you. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. As a result, that is as a result of Christ's plan, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In those three verses are the practical implications of Christ's plan for his church. When the plan works, these things will happen. In verses 14 and 15, we're discovering the the implications for us as individuals, as individual Christians. And in verse 16, we will discover the implications for us corporately, the entire church. Last week, we started to consider the individual implications of Christ's plan for his church. They're found in verses 14 and 15. Let me just briefly review the implications we discovered from these two verses last week. Number one, the first individual implication of Christ's plan for his church is that every Christian begins the Christian life as a spiritual infant. Paul, notice in verse 14, begins by saying, we should no longer be children. The clear implication of that is that we all come into the faith as spiritual babies, as spiritual infants. That's why the language of being born again 
We enter into spiritual life as newborns. The second implication that we discovered last week is that every immature Christian shares two primary characteristics with children. That's why he uses this picture. We share two primary characteristics with children. Number one, we are personally unstable. Look at verse 14. Stop being children tossed here and there by waves. We are personally unstable. And secondly, we are easily deceived. Verse 14 says, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every new teaching. The third implication of Christ's plan on us as individuals that we saw last week was that Satan works to take advantage of our immaturity. Satan works to take advantage of our immaturity. Look at the rest of verse 14. Where do those winds of teaching come from? By the trickery of men, by craftiness, literally in the schemes of error. Satan is promoting schemes of error, and he does it, as we saw last time, from those who come in from the outside, and as Paul warned, even from within the church, there are false teachers everywhere, and Satan does that in order to take advantage of our immaturity when we are easily swept away by every wind of teaching. There's a fourth implication for us as individuals, and This is new territory that we did not cover last week. But individual implication for each of us based on Christ's plan, here's number four. We can only grow up spiritually by means of the truth mixed with love. We can only grow up spiritually by means of the truth mixed with love. As I pointed out to you last week, this whole passage, verses 14 to 16, can really be put into the form of a command. Verse 14 genuinely could be saying, stop being children, and verse 15, but grow up. Or verse 14 could say, let us no longer be children, verse 15, but rather let us grow up. That's the idea. The bottom line is Paul is saying, we We're born into the new spiritual life as infants, but we must grow out of that spiritual immaturity. We must grow into the mature man of verse 13, or into moral likeness to Jesus Christ at the very end of verse 13. Grow up. You know, if you're a Christian, if you truly are in Christ, this is true of you. You want to be like Jesus Christ. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. The truest sign that you are genuinely a Christian believer, that you are not merely sort of a social Christian, is that there is within your heart a genuine desire at the core of your being to be like Jesus Christ in your character, in who you are morally. I'm not talking about the desire to be rid of a certain sin, There are a lot of unbelievers who desire to be rid of certain sins because they're embarrassing or troublesome or enslaving. I'm talking about a genuine desire at the core of your being to resemble Jesus Christ. That's a test of whether or not we're in Christ. And if you're a genuine Christian, you want that. God's made you to want that. He began with the goal, you remember in Romans 8, he predestined us 
To what? He predetermined our destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. And he puts within our hearts that longing and desire to be that. The question is how? How does it happen? What is the catalyst that promotes and enables spiritual growth toward likeness to Jesus Christ? Well, trace the logic of Paul's thought here in this passage. Look back up in verses 11 and 12. His point in verses 11 and 12 is that Christ gave gifted men to the church in order to equip the saints to do the work of service. And he did all of that, verse 14, in order that. Remember that first part of verse 14 can actually literally be translated, in order that we should no longer be children but should grow up. In other words, Christ's entire plan for the church, the reason he put things together the way he put them together, is in order that we would grow up. Now, verse 15 begins with a participial phrase. Notice verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. The English phrase, speaking the truth, actually translates one Greek word, one very unusual Greek verb. And the NAS translators sort of struggled with what to do with this, and they didn't know exactly what to do with it. You'll notice that in the NAS, if you have the New American Standard translation, next to the word speaking is a marginal note. And if you look over in the margin, they gave us a couple of more options. Holding to the truth is one of them, or being truthful. So there are three different options they saw. Now what's the problem? Why is there confusion? Because the Greek word is not easily translatable into English. In fact, let me literally translate it for you. This is what it says in the Greek text. True thing in love we should grow up. True thing in love we should grow up. When it boils down to it, there are really two possibilities of what that could mean. Obviously, we wouldn't translate it that way because it makes no sense. But there are two possibilities of what true thing, but true thing, grow up, might mean. It might mean, as the New American Standard translators have chosen, speaking the truth. But speaking the truth, grow up. If that is the correct translation, make sure you understand that it is not referring to one Christian being honest with another Christian. It's not saying, oh, by the way, be honest and grow up. Instead, it's saying the leaders of the church must speak the truth to you. As the leaders of the church speak the truth to you, grow up. The contrast then would be between listening to the truth taught by the church's leaders and listening to every wind of doctrine back in verse 14. You can either listen to one or you can listen to the other. Listen to the truth the leaders of the church teach. That's one possibility. The second possibility, beyond speaking the truth, is holding to the truth. Holding to the truth. The idea would be that in order to grow, we must know the truth, we must understand the truth, we must confess the truth, we must embrace the truth of Scripture. The contrast then would be between embracing the truth of sound teaching from the church's leaders or being blown around by every false teaching and every wind of doctrine. Now, I personally prefer the second option, holding to the truth. But 
in the end, it doesn't really matter because they both essentially are saying the same thing. They're saying you must come through the teaching of gifted men to understand the truth, to hold to that truth, and holding to that truth, grow up. Peter O'Brien in his commentary puts it like this, the apostle is not exhorting his readers to truthfulness in general or speaking honestly with one another, however appropriate or important this may be. Rather, he wants all of them to be members of a confessing church with the content of their confession being the word of truth. Lloyd-Jones says it a little differently. He says, instead of being weather vanes, it's a, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? The wind blowing it, whichever direction the wind's blowing. Instead of being weather vanes, turning around in every direction, believing everything, we are to hold to something definite, even the truth. Instead of believing one thing one day and then something different another day, we must be stable and hold on to the truth as it's made known in the Scriptures. So, we are to hold on to the truth that we are taught from the Scriptures. What is the relationship then between the participle truthing in love and the main verb of that part of the sentence, we are to grow up? But truthing in love, we are to grow up. But holding on to the truth, we are to grow up. What's the relationship of those to each other? The participle tells us how to grow. Hold on to the truth because that is the primary means God uses to grow us up spiritually. We all understand that God is the one who causes our spiritual growth, right? I mean, you have no inherent capacity to grow spiritually. God has to do it. Ultimately, you can't just wake up one morning and decide to grow any more than you can wake up one morning and decide to grow physically. God is the one who causes our spiritual growth. There's so many places in the Scripture where that's made clear. Two of them stand out in my mind. One of them is when Jesus is praying the night before his crucifixion in that high priestly prayer of John 17, a passage we'll come back to several times this morning. He's praying and he says, Father, sanctify them, that is my disciples, by the truth. Your word is truth. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's praying that God would do something to his disciples, that he would make them holy, that he would cause them to grow. The other passage is 1 Corinthians 3. You remember where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Folks, God is always the cause behind our spiritual growth. And God could, if he decided, cause us to grow by acting directly on our souls without any involvement from us. We could just be minding our own business, walking along one day, and God decides, boom, it's his turn, he's going to grow. God could do that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But that isn't what God has decided to do. The Scripture makes it clear that God has sovereignly determined to use means in our spiritual growth. For example, the same thing happens in the physical world in so many ways. But let me give you an example. All of us who are Christians would agree that God is the one who ultimately causes physical growth. We talked about 
that little child growing in the womb of its mother. When an infant grows in its mother's womb from that tiny little size at the very beginning to its birth weight and size, we understand that God and God alone has acted to make that happen. Nothing in God's world happens without his doing. But at the same time, we understand that God only produces that growth through means. Specifically, what must happen? What means does God use to make that child grow within its mother's womb? Well, the mother has to get sufficient nutrition and sleep and exercise and all of the parts of her body that God has made, those parts have to function properly to produce the the nutrients and things that that child needs. But the mother doesn't cause the growth. She can do all that she's supposed to do and the child may not grow. In the same way, God produces spiritual growth. But he has sovereignly determined not to produce that spiritual growth apart from our legitimate use of means. And in verse 15, Paul identifies the primary means God uses to produce our spiritual growth. It is the truth. Holding to the truth, we are to grow up. That is the means God uses Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to us after we've studied this passage because the importance of truth in our spiritual development has already been hinted at in this passage, hasn't it? I mean, look back in verse 11. Most of the gifted men that Christ gave to his church had to do with the truth. The apostles and prophets revealed the truth, instructed us in the truth. The pastor teachers are primarily about teaching the truth. In verse 12, Christ's plan called for the leaders to equip the people of the church, and the primary tool that the leaders have is teaching the truth. Verse 14, immaturity is connected to not knowing the truth. So God uses the means of truth to produce spiritual growth in us. It's hinted at in all of this passage in verse 15. He just comes out and says it explicitly. Truth is the means behind spiritual growth. Now, the word means is a key word and very important. Truth is the means of spiritual growth, not the cause of our spiritual growth. God is the cause of our spiritual growth. The truth by itself has no more power to change your heart then light has power to give a blind person the capacity to see. The truth has to be used by the Spirit of God, but it is the means he uses. Now, what is this truth, this transforming truth? You know, I think it's easy for Christians to get captivated by books they read or some radio preacher they hear, some television preacher, and think that there's some secret truth. That's what he must mean. If I can get that secret truth, here's the spiritual secret. Folks, there's no secret. The truth is not some wonderful secret teaching, some key truth that suddenly catapults you to some high new level of spiritual life. What is the truth then that makes us grow? Well, Jesus defines it for us in John 17 in that high priestly prayer. He says, sanctify them, Father, by the truth, by means of the truth, and then he says this, your word is truth. The truth that makes us grow, the truth that makes us holy, that grows us into the image of Christ, isn't some isolated passage somewhere, it's all of the words of God. 
It's everything in this book. Sanctify them by means of the truth. Your word is truth. So when I use the word truth, I mean the entire teaching of Scripture, the entirety of the Word of God. I wish I could get inside your head this morning and help you see how important this is. There is no truth you will ever hear that is more important to your spiritual growth and development than this truth. That the Word of God is the means God uses to bring spiritual growth into your life. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part nine of his current series, The Church According to Jesus. Tom will bring you part 10 on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. We do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.